I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Joining me today on the Ecology Academy podcast, I have Rosie Pope from Foster and Partners. So, um, Rosie, good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent, excellent. It's good to have you in the show and, uh, you know, a different sort of take on the ecological role here. So yeah, we're yeah. Looking, looking forward to the conversation. Um, and before we start, um, could you, I mean, just for our audience, really, and for me, really, to introduce yourself and just tell me a little bit about, um, I suppose, a little bit about, about your background, really, what you, how you, you know, what your role is with um, Foster and Partners. Sure, yeah. So I um the first and only in-house ecologist at Foster and Partners. Um, they're, I think, the largest architecture firm in the UK, very famous, Lord Norman Foster's um, practice that he set up in the 60s, sort of 1,500 or maybe even 2,000 employees based in London, all in one London campus. And I I came there from a more traditional ecological consultancy role. And now, and I joined in November 2021. Uh, and yeah, I provide basically in-house ecological advice to the architects, the engineers and any other specialists, um, but mainly the architects and the practice. Yeah. Wonderful. Great. And how did you, I mean, going back to your, your career with um, Foster and Partners in terms of mm. your, um, you know, your career path, your progression there. So what did that look like? I mean, um, was it, um, you know, which did you go to university? If so, which one? Yeah, sure. So um had a kind of eclectic mix of a-levels i will circle back to my a-level choice at the end of the show actually i think but yeah my a-level choices i chose subjects that i love the most and one of them was biology interestingly that was the only science that i had um and i went to uni after a bit of indecision over what subject to do i decided because i quite liked creative activities so i had art english french and biology anyway i after a bit dithering around i went and did biology at oxford and when I decided on that, I really felt right in my heart, you know, it was a lot of decision making. But when I made that, I really felt right in my gut. So I set, spent three years at Oxford doing, yeah, biological sciences, absolutely loved it. And then I did a master's. I wanted to broaden my view of the environmental sector. So I did a master's at Imperial in environmental technology. Go back to Oxford. So when did you start mm. and, um, you know, complete your, your, your first degree there then? I think I graduated in 2011. 2011, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get back to my LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I've been I've been professionally working for like yeah. I've been I've got about nine years of ecology experience. I dedicated. I had so after my masters, I went. I actually I'm really concerned about climate and the environment in general. And I went and did some more sort of carbon related jobs and general sustainability roles. So my first job after my masters, actually, I moved to Switzerland. One of those maps in the background, actually. And I worked for a large fashion company as their sustainability sort of officer. And I did a lot of projects there around packaging, around um, supply chain, sustainability, et cetera. And, you know, I had an amazing time. I learned Italian. It was really great. But it didn't ever feel like quite rich enough. You know, carbon is kind of a dry subject. And also I got a little bit homesick. I wanted to come 
back to the UK. So I came back and I actually had a career change at that point. I had to go right back to basically start. I, I worked there for three years. I went right back to uh, like graduate ecologist. So I volunteered, I did internships and eventually I got my first full-time assistant ecologist role at Aspect Ecology in Banbury, which I loved actually. And then I moved from that sort of relatively small consultancy to a medium one, to a bigger one, to a bigger one. So my last consultancy job was at WSP, which I think is the biggest ecology team in the UK. And I really enjoyed it there. However, I don't know why I was getting job hits, you know, LinkedIn, you know what LinkedIn's like, you get these things in your inbox. Anyway, one day I got this funny, and while I was at WSP, I should say, it was also an amazing place to work. You know, I, I did a standard kind of ecological consultancy thing, vaguely specializing in botany by the end, but I also have a GCN and dormouse license. Mm-hmm. I'm full sign. Yeah. So, you know, all of those things. So just before you go yeah. on a bit, so in terms of um, going back to that first role with Aspects, so, mm. you know, you've come back from Switzerland, you know, you've, you've, you've taken this graduate, it was, it was a graduate position, you say? Uh, as a, with it was a, actually assistant because I was a bit yeah. older, yeah, yeah, so I wasn't yeah. exactly a graduate. I already had three or four pro- years mm. professional experience, so I wasn't exactly a graduate, so I went in as assistant there, yeah. Okay, so I mean, um, I mean, just for time scales as well, you know, we've got 2011 graduating from university. So in terms of your time in Switzerland and then returning to the UK with Aspect, what what, what sort of time period we're we looking at there? Yeah, I guess that was about 2014. 2014, yeah. Oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me about all these dates. I know, so just, you know, he just, <laughs> just puts it into context in terms of, you know, how long yeah. people spend in, you know, the academic yeah. side and then into Yeah, the sure. Side. So I did a three-year degree, yeah. one-year master's, mm-hmm. and then three years working in sustainability sector, and then I started in ecology kind of thing. Right. Um, and it took about a year of volunteering mm-hmm. and internships and, you know, you know how it is, uh, to then build up enough of a profile and also know that I wanted to do it. Yeah. Because I, hadn't re- I didn't really know about ecology when I graduated, mm-hmm. actually. We didn't really talk about it at the careers at Oxford, so I, I didn't even really know how I found it. Anyway, once I discovered what it was, and I and I sort of, you know, you, you do these ex- volunteering and internships, not just to put them on your CV, but also to check that you do like doing it. Anyway, yeah. I discovered I really loved it. You know, I, I liked the element of field work. Biology is really, it's a passion of mine in terms of, you know, there's a, the extinction crisis happening, but it, I also find it a very rich, interesting subject. So like, you know, that year, even though I also took a, quite a significant pay hit, it was quite, you know, important to do that. Um, and then, yeah, so, and then I was at Aspect whenever it was, 2015. Yeah, sorry, I, I could keep interjecting here. Sorry. I, uh, I, no, okay. But in terms Go of ahead. your volunteering experience then, who, so mm. who was that with and so why, and why did you choose that um, particular organisation, for, for instance? So I did a few different things. Um, yeah, some internships like, you know, a week or workplace at Atkins and then uh, Acorn Ecology, I think it is, with Sutel. Um, and some courses and things, I did some courses. I had uh, one of the fun ones was a biodiversity officer at or volunteer at uh, Clumber Park National Trust properties. So that was that was quite a fun one, actually. I had a bit of autonomy there. Um, and we were out doing, you know, habitat management, but also setting up uh, survey plans and schedules for how we were going to do a base a baseline essentially to the baseline of the property it's actually interestingly clumber park is one of those national trust places that the house is burnt down so it's actually just the estate um so yeah i spent some time there setting up that but then d- during that time is when i got the offer from aspect so i had to leave before we really implemented anything because i kind of needed a paid job and obviously aspect was full-time paid so I had to the national trust i'm so sorry but yeah i've got to go so yeah that was that. And then I think I did some other, you know, just 
local maybe door mouse groups um i think i did some like harvest mouse surveys i just found what was in the area in terms of like what you could volunteer and go out and actually survey and just met with people who maybe had a specialism and saw what they were doing and went out with them basically and you were living you didn't in always the... find anything and this was I was the... back at home yeah sorry this was... and this was in the oxfordshire area then so uh, I, 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 I... uh I think I was bouncing around. My parents lived on the like Oxfordshire, Berkshire border, so I was bouncing around Oxfordshire, you know, Berkshire, London. I was wherever at that time. It's difficult. It's very, very difficult for entry level ecologists because you have to be so flexible with where you will go. You know, you have to find this opportunity and be willing to be like, oh, okay, fine. You know, I'll drive here every day. I'll live with this friend. I'll sleep on the sofa, or whatever. See, so, yeah, I was I was bouncing around, but always in the air, the sort of Oxfordshire, southeast England area. Yeah. Great. And then, uh, yeah, okay, so uh, sorry for breaking up that a little bit, but um, okay, okay, so yeah, yeah, LinkedIn, we are, uh, you know, we love LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. So obviously okay. something popped up on LinkedIn or someone contacted yeah, you on LinkedIn. Yeah, so I'd had, a, I'd had a lovely time, you know, I got to senior ecologist. I was really enjoying um, specializing in botany. I mean, I'm not actually that good of a botanist, but uh, it was my interest and all that led to habitat, you know, focus, habitat ecology, and naturally then biodiversity net gain. So I was kind of a regional lead for biodiversity net gain. And I was also doing some sort of natural capital stuff, which is what is similar to biodiversity net gain. You calculate the sort of ecosystem services that might come out of a piece of land. Um, so I was doing some amazingly fun stuff there and it was really good, but I got this message and it was like, cookie, I don't know. It was just a funny little message. It was like amazingly unusual ecology opportunity, exclamation mark. And I was like, that's it, I clicked on it. And it said that it was ecologist of fostering partners. And I was like, well, because, you know, I've got this like quite creative side, like I like design, I like, you know, that that kind of thing. And I knew Foster and Partners, I know not everyone has, but I knew Foster and Partners and I thought, whoa, I've never seen a role like that before. But, you know, had I dared to dream, it, it would be a dream role to go in-house as an ecologist and take your skills and be the go-to, you know, with a load of designers or architects. Um, so, yeah, I, I went in and... I did yeah, a few interviews and amazingly got the position. Uh, so then, yeah, I, I did another, I guess, a shift. And now my job is quite different, actually. You know, you still have to be an ecologist. You have to be an expert, like, you know. Also, you have to be an advocate for wildlife all the time because the architects are really working for the client or, you know, for the design, the look, you know, whereas they're not coming to me to ask about the look or to ask what the client wants. They're asking about, okay, how do you protect the migratory birds on this wetland that we want to put a master plan on okay. so yeah that's that's my role now and that's how kind of in a very <laughs> whirlwind way how i got there yeah so in, in terms of i mean just going back to that um, you know that you know the the advert that popped up there mm. then and uh, you, you know you're obviously you know obviously successful in the application so in terms of i mean it, you know why I mean, was it put across like the reasons why uh, foster partners were looking for an ecologist and why, and also at that time, I mean, because I imagine it is the first role yeah. they've, imp- first e- ecological role they've employed. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was also a slight focus on horticulture. They wanted someone to be a kind of plants person as well. I maybe didn't fulfill that side. And I, you know, obviously I know about wild species, but I, I know a bit about ornamental species, but I'm no horticulturalist, let's say. Anyway, the reason they wanted it, I think, was to bring, you know, ecology is creeping up and up the agenda, even for firms like Foster's. Uh, and they wanted someone who could give them advice on tap, 
without having to you know set up the and commission a consultant etc cetera, etc cetera. and also to give robust advice because sometimes you'll get a lot of say landscape architects or even architects who are like oh i've got to fix on ecology but they it's not as it's not as scientific as we would expect it to be as like professional consultants kind of mm -hmm. thing um so yeah there's that there's a science side and also then of course i brought a bit of knowledge about at least the uk the planning system the legal regulations and how that all works with development admittedly now not many of my sites are in the uk we're all over the world but at least someone who has an idea of okay this is this is what authority you might have to talk to and this is the kind of bit of legislation that i think is relevant and this is what we might have to comply with kind of thing it's difficult sometimes because sometimes all the legislation is in another language um so yeah i think that's kind of why they wanted someone just to bring a bit of robustness bring a bit of like immediate advice and yeah to be an advocate for for wildlife so, uh, permanently within you know within the company yeah so they're, so they're obviously seeing that um, as you say you know biodiversity nature you know, it, it, you know we can interchange these words but um mm. you know they were looking for someone to obviously you know advise you know in-house um, advice but also i'd imagine also that they've seen it as a, a growing need you know that's the yeah. responsibility you know and obviously yeah. you know you know they're yeah so so you've alluded to it in part then so you know the the sort of differences then really between I suppose, like a traditional clean ecologist working for an ecological consultancy, as you were doing in in aspect in WSP, um, between your role now. So, uh, what's what are the sort of challenges you mentioned about? Obviously, it's not just all UK based. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, I guess I could sum up three things. One. Yeah. It's very much international. I mean, I had a little glance back at my notes. Uh, yeah, I'm also on that leave at the moment, but I had a little glance back at my notes. I was like, okay, yeah, I was working on a project in the Maldives, a project in Oxford, a project in Cyprus, uh, a project in Egypt, and a project in uh, China. And that was just one week. So that was just my, like, you know, notes table for one week. So <laughs> it's very, very international. And in that sense, you it's not as uh, detailed as work as being a consultant in the UK specifically on exactly what frequency of GCN survey you need to do and within what month and et cetera, et cetera. It's more like step back. Okay, what is the biome here? You know, what ecosystem are we talking about? Like, what are the main threats? Is it a desert situation? Should we be focusing on our water efficiency? Is it a wetland situation and we should be focusing on reducing, you know, visual disturbance from the population? Because I know there's like, a Ramsar wetland adjacent to the site kind of thing. So it's really stepping back and thinking about, uh, yeah, I guess the bigger picture is really hackneyed phrase, but yeah. but that essentially, um, so that's the major thing. It's international and I have to step back and just go, you go back to like your uni principles in a way. You're like, okay, this is what we got. Like the animals need to feed and breed and, you know, rest, I guess. So, well, and, and whatever the plants need, but, um, yeah, so that's one major difference. So it's a macro um, level then, really, you know, looking yeah, at this. Yeah, yes. but you have to go right out mm -hmm. and then you go into where your site is. Yeah. And the other major difference, I guess, is that uh, you're, you have to sell ecology more. In consultancy, you can lean on the fact that this species has legal protection or has protection within the planning policy. So this developer has to fulfill this obligation, etc. Yeah. They have to do the service, etc., etc. Whereas when I'm working on a project in, let's say, Cyprus, they, they might not have a law to protect X, Y, Z. Or it might be that even in the UK, this river wouldn't you know, have very 
high levels of protection. So I have to be like, we don't have to protect this actually, you know, no lawyer is going to come and sue you if you cover over this incredible river and, you know, the mouth, the only mouth of the river on this coastal coast that meets the sea on an otherwise completely concreted waterfront. But here's why we should, and you have to like sell it and put the positive angles about, you know, all these migratory species are extremely rare and their roots are being blocked off, etc. And it, I mean, a common one that, that the landscape architects like to talk about is the fact that wildlife will animate a development. So, you know, if you completely, if you build a very sterile design that prevents anything coming and dwelling there, you're not going to get any dragonflies, you're not going to get any kingfishers, etc. So there's it's quite a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, and then you can also sell it in the sense of um, everyone else is doing it, so so should we. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's some... It's not, and particularly in China, actually, some really incredible landscape architecture firms that are doing beautiful wetland developments. You know, they're almost like conservation projects in, in cities. And so you can put these up and they look stunning and be like, this is what these guys are doing. Can we mimic this? Can we do better? You know, this is the kind of trend that we need to um, fit in with. And that, you know, architects, you know, it's a kind of glossy industry. You know, things have to look good. They have to be on trend. They have to be sell like sexy and sellable and everything so you have to be able to talk about ecology in that way not like well actually under section 41 blah, 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 blah. they will immediately gloss over and not listen so you have to be able to be like wow right yeah a lesser florican have you ever seen how amazing a lesser florican is and you know show them some imagery and things like that so that's a major difference and then yeah the the way that we work is very different my deliverables i mean i barely i barely open word you know, I I used to almost work entirely in Word and Excel and GIS, and now I do do GIS and Excel, but I'm actually mainly working in Adobe, so I'm mainly working in Illustrator or InDesign because all of the things that we make for meetings or for clients are visual. So we make these things called like reports or boards, and that was a real like thing I had to learn how to do basically because obviously you're not you know consultancy, you're making a report with a template, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You just, you know, put in your stuff, you make your arguments, you do your recommendations, whereas here I've got to be like, well, you know, no one, will, no one will read a report and you just can't. And I remember there was an anthropologist in the team, well, there still is, but the old one when I got there and she was like, they never read your text, by the way. <laughs> right. I, when I came, when I came, I used to write these reports. No, so no, never like, read them. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh my God. And now <laughs> you have to like express your points in a visual form. So I do a lot of diagrams to say um is it the lawton report that's got some great diagrams in it you know the bigger better more joined up right uh report and that's got some really good like images in it about you know when i talk about connectivity this is what i mean and when i talk about buffer zones this is what i mean they always want things to be mapped and drawn and things like that so yeah i, I do a lot of that and then yeah the deliverables are very different and the pace is different whoa these projects come and go fast like we get a call and be like hey yeah we've got this uh developments like on an island in greece or whatever and they're like oh, okay sure, cool so what are the deadlines on this they're like yeah it's actually tomorrow and we've got to submit, submit like six a3 boards and what do you think and i'm like whoa okay yeah i need some hours just to mm -hmm. research like the ecology of this area and then i need you to tell me what your plans are so i have to do like impact assessments in an hour <laughs> just you know it's really quick because sure it might not be a thorough full eia but no one else is going to mention anything. Or if they do, it's well meant, but sometimes it's not, uh, it's not, it's not as good as it could be. Yeah, exactly. Well. Or it's not, it's not, um, 
it's not the best steps basically so okay. uh, yeah a classic thing is that um they don't i will i'm <laughs> i go on about the mitigation hierarchy multiple times a day because they'll often come to me and be like we've got this plan and um we were wondering if we could put something on it to like make it wildlife friendly and i say oh can you can we actually just look at google earth together and look what's there now because that's what matters hmm. i don't and also even if we do put you know xyz planting in you know this tiny bit of green space that we do have it shouldn't be informed by what looks nice if you're asking me we should look at the native habitat and the native vegetation and it should reflect that and you know and that'll mean it's climate robust as well not just oh well you know this pier all the planting looks pretty cool on, on this side so let's put that in and yeah i have to sort of wind the back of it and be like the first step is to look do we have any wetlands do we have any woodlands do we have any areas of stuff and vegetation of any kind of habitat a coastline for example that is going to be more more biodiverse that is maybe more threatened uh, and that is what we should ring fence actually so you know and it depends on the on the on the team but very often we have to go back a little bit and say okay let's shift this building here this building here especially on master plans um yeah so that's that's a few differences really and that yeah. also describes the kind of work that i do okay so in terms of i mean you mentioned there about obviously dealing with different professionals and landscape architects and course architects themselves um but um you, you mentioned about i mean you are the only ecologist there so i suppose that you know that how did you how did you manage the fact that you were going from maybe you know, a team with WSP, for instance, there was a team of ecologists that you could fall back on, to being the sole ecologist within you know a global company? It's hard. My so the the guys that hired me, uh, the head of the landscape architect team, Nick Haddock, and then the head of our urban design team, Bruno Moser, are really very supportive. And are you know they're real uh, environmentalists themselves, so they'll often you know they carry a bit more weight so they'll be like you should talk to rosie about this kind of thing so in terms of getting a voice heard they support me and yeah having it not having a team is difficult because i have to do all of the research and deliver it and you know think about all that get fit all that time wise but it was quite a lot of mental energy because there is there are no templates mm -hmm. there's no precedent like I built a little bit before I went on that leave, you know, kind of documents that say, this is our process. This is, you know, if you're going to do a report or a board, think about this kind of structure, like what's the baseline, what's the, you know, what's the zoom out to this level and then in, in, in you know, whatever um, scale. And so I have to think about the strategy and do the strategy at the same time. So that's the quite challenging thing uh, is that it's uh, quite a lot of mental energy, you know, to think, okay, how can I approach this? What's the best way to do it? And then do it within, within a week. So that's, that's challenging sometimes. And then, yeah, I mean, in order to keep my, you know, I do worry sometimes that I'm a bit distant from consultancy and, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not doing FISC tests this year or whatever. And I'm, trust me, I'm reading my psyum in practice, like cover to cover to try and keep my finger, you know, on mm -hmm. in the world of consultancy as much as I can, but I'm not on site as I, I was before. So, I guess it just it flips back on me a little bit to be i've got to manage my own cpd like i've got to get out there and do xyz to make sure i'm still on the ball um so yeah that's the challenge so i mean and, in terms yeah of... it, otherwise otherwise i do you know i have quite a lot of friends who are ecologists and we yeah. talk you know you talk the language a bit with them and yeah things like in practice are good actually um just to keep your focus on wildlife and keep your literacy in like wildlife science uh, when you don't have a lot of people with you to talk, chat about 
probably. Yeah. So it, that's density. So going from you know, like I say, the, those the differences in the teams um, sort of sizes then. So I imagine. You know, you know that you you know you're given a lot of freedom, you know, to to do you know to research and you know to create and you know you know you know change things from like I would say not writing very much text to going to more visual sort of representation for for the meetings. So in terms of I mean in terms of the skills required then, so you know you said much about you know the creative side of what you do. What do you think? What skills have you had had to learn? whilst you know working um, with foster partners yeah so i mean there's the technical stuff you know learning to use InDesign and to use illustrator and then also to break free of the quite formulaic like consultancy do the fee proposal get commission do the surveys do the report do the you know recommendations do the monitoring there's you have to be more flexible and you have to be uh you have to be willing to be a bit spontaneous actually because sometimes they'll be like oh we're having a design board review which is like a very important kind of meeting in in some in the life cycle of a project whereby the very senior architects come and review the current designs and they happen sometimes at very short notice but you all go into a room and everything's printed out and you have to get your voice heard so if one of those if someone's like oh do you want to come and be in the dr bit you run you drop everything you run because you it's not always much better to be in the room so yeah you have to break free of you know, in consultants, you might expect to have two or three hours to write a report, but that kind of rarely happens for me now. You've got to like, be ready to go, ready to go. Um, yeah, there are a couple. And uh, yes. Yeah. No, I just think about also about you know dealing with you know, you know you know working alongside landscape architects and architects mm. um, themselves. So um, you know, um, is I imagine that's on a daily basis and yeah. um, and and so how do they how do you perceive them and how do they perceive you hmm. i mean i love the landscape architects i mean i because because i'm the only one in terms of the you know the hr center i actually am listed as a landscape architect but um so i that's I, you know i sit within that team that's the guys i sit nearest to and then the other kind of um i guess like scientific specialists with the anthropologists and then the other team very near us is the uh, urban design team. So I work very closely with them. And then, yeah, how do I see them? And I am in awe of them. One, because they have these incredible skills I don't have. And two, because when I'm like, oh, we really need to like design this wetland like this, I'm not a designer. So I'm, I have to go to them and be like, I, I really think that we need X distance from this island. And I think we need this kind of planting and but they'll, they'll be the ones drawing it in CAD and drawing it in whatever software they're drawing it in. Because I, I don't actually design or draw yeah. yet in terms of like the, you know, what's going to be built, obviously, because I'm not qualified. But um, yeah, I view them as, as, you know, the ones who are able to affect my recommendations. So the relationship is really crucial. And then how do they see me? I mean, the urban designers and the landscape architects, I think I'm... I think I'm a great help to them. You know, they come to me with a lot of questions. They really want to, uh, at an early stage, talk to me about stuff because they want to know that they're making, you know, the right kind of decisions about the design. So, yeah, I think I think they really like me being there. Um, and yeah, the relationship is really good, actually. Uh, you know, I have to go to them and be like, I, can, I need to change this text box in InDesign. <laughs> so they're obviously like, chef, you know, teaching me this new skill. Uh, but then when they're like, 
oh I wonder what uh, tree species would be suitable for this and I'm like I've got 10 for you like don't <laughs> don't just look on the on the nursery websites let's look at some you know botanical reports and see what might be a native species that we can put in instead of just something ornamental again so uh yeah you know we work very closely together they're, they're my team now that I don't have an, an ecology team you know and what about the architects then uh, themselves yeah I, yeah so the structure of Foster and Partners is such that there's six design studios and they're all architects. So they all work together on their individual projects. And so, you know, you could consider them as vertical blocks and then across as horizontal blocks, there's like complementary teams. So there's engineers and, you know, sustainability specialists. And then I sit within the urban design team. So we serve all of those different studios on all of their projects and generally you know it can go one of two ways generally they ask me for advice and it's a really positive relationship you know everyone wants the best for, for wildlife but sometimes it is actually difficult you know they ask me something and i say uh i actually don't think that the boxes on this 10-story building are going to be that effective like i think it's too far from any foraging grounds and i think the weather is going to be too extreme and you know i'm not i'm not sure that that's feasible and it and uh you have to deliver that in the right way because you know they've come up with this and they've designed it and yeah you know yeah. it's is that like you're kind of like i think i know what you're saying it. Yeah, you're it's... criticizing it in yeah. a way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you have to because you can't just be like yeah it looks great you know i'm not there to be like oh yeah it looks great yeah i'm sure it looks fine like you know but whatever you want wherever you want i have to be you have to sometimes say oh <laughs> yeah i mean i have been known to say sometimes like I think that's borderline illegal. Like the, the extent of that development, I'm not sure that the international community would like look favorably yeah. on this layout or whatever. Uh, so it is difficult sometimes, but when that happens, I always really have the support of my managers and say to them, listen, you know, it's a political, you know, I'm getting, I'm feeling like I'm annoying people. Is this okay? Should I keep doing it? You know, and they're, you know, they are, we're all adults in the end. It's like, yeah, you should really, because you have to give robust advice. It's not always what they want to hear, but you can't compromise on your principles. You know, you're not, yeah, like I say, you're not here to just be a yes woman and say that looks yeah. great. Um, that's what you're hired for. So yeah, the relationship is is like that, you know? I mean, and it's, that is a similar to consultancy. Sometimes a client doesn't want to hear, they have to delay by six months to do the survey or that they can't sit in 10 extra units in this corner because you need a buffer around, you know, this badger set or whatever. You know, that, that kind of conflict is, is always present i guess in our in our sector but um, i suppose it's it's i mean I, I don't know if it's easier or harder for you actually or any in-house you know uh, e ecologists working within an industry that the mm. fact that um you know those skills we mentioned earlier on that um you know by the sounds of it you know you and we obviously we all use communication skills to some sort of degree you know we, but you have to sort of defend your line um, you know, you've got to do the research, you've got to do the, uh, you know, the justifications, then also the defence and, uh, and then, com you know, compromise, so negotiation, all those different mm -hmm. aspects to it. And um, I, I suppose, you know, it's conflict as well. You know, they have got their job to do. You've got your job to do. And I suppose it's finding you know yeah. compromises along the way but also guiding them to you know, you know i say the right decision but you know a yeah. decision yeah yeah i mean generally i try and avoid like 
any conflict by doing what I said earlier and selling the idea of this wildlife to them. So then you, you've got people on board. And then when you, when you, you know, if the first presentation you've ever done is about how you've got this really rare tree mm-hmm. or this really mature tree and how many species that supports or whatever, then when it comes later in the design and I say, I'm pretty sure that that, that, you know, floor is going to encroach on the tree, they know why and they've got a bit of an understanding and they also care about it because you've sold it to them at first. Like, so I think it's much more carrot in this job than there is sort of stick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that generally avoids conflict. I would say it's, it's very rare. Uh, and it, you know, I'm probably the one that probably feels it more because I'm a purist. I'm like, what? does it really need to be too, too, tracks on this road can't we have a single track road well, obviously it needs to be a tractor, whatever. um so you know i i'm always like oh, wildlife now it's upset you know the architects are like oh yeah we can change it no problem because yeah. <laughs> i suppose the, the position you're in is that uh, majority of you know i say the clean traditional ecologists you know e- even some working for you know the larger companies that you know, as you mentioned to bsp and so forth are um you know they may have a lot of in-house experts in terms of mm. engineers and master planners and, and so forth. But yeah. a majority, probably the architects sit outside the company. Yeah. Whereas yeah. your architects sit inside, you know, so it's, it's that, yeah. okay, well, I'm dealing, I'm not dealing with an external bot, you know, person, you know, they are actually yeah. my colleague. And yeah. I, I can imagine that's, that's, that could be a, a good thing. And a bad, yeah, you know, yeah, it's a little challenge as well. Yeah. I mean, you always have to, don't you? Because if your clients say that you, as a consultant in your clients, the architecture firm, or the developer, and they love their architect, you still mm-hmm. have to manage that relationship. You still don't want to sour that because you need their business. And that, you know, I guess just relationship management in a different form, uh, whether it's easier or harder, I don't know. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah. It, there's, <laughs> there's, we've got some uh, transport like mobility planners in in house at Foster's as well, and there were loads of those with WSP. So I'm like right i know how to talk to these guys yes. or like the engineers as well because obviously wsp is mainly an engineering firm so these engineers come around and like yes let's talk about the drainage scheme yes i know that you know you know the language whereas the architects are like kind of something a bit new you know but yeah i'm, I'm definitely learning well it's... you mentioned the language there so you know mm. you know we we know that you know you know in every profession in every sector you know they're going to have different sort of um uh, you know languages for their technical side so mm. i mean i mean what have the, i mean we, we go in with our sacs and spas and so forth yeah what sure what yeah. different acronyms and, and language have you sort of had to you know uh, um you know learn whilst on yeah. on the job then right the language really sums it up actually it's just like that like when you're in an ecological song you say SPA, SAC, you don't need to explain it everyone knows the language they know what that word means whereas if i say that i won't i have to explain it but yeah, in terms of the language that I've had to learn, I mean, the <laughs> the urban designers, it's a lot of GFA, FAR, gross floor area and floor area ratio. You know, these are really crucial things uh, that define that kind of the size of the site and the density of the site, and therefore generally how much green space there is um, and how disturbed it might be, you know, what kind of shape. Is it is it towers? Is it a lot of low rise that cover all of the the square footage of the whole site or are we densifying is that a good thing a bad thing so there's a lot of chat about that and then also this <laughs> you know you get you get your pea it's you know everyone knows what pea is or you know your hrsa or your eia whereas here it's like yeah we are our deliverable is 50 percent of concept and i'm like 
performer? A concept? Like, yeah. what, what is a, co- what is a <laughs> concept? Let alone what is 50% of a concept? Like, a kind of half-formed idea? But that, that's, you know, that's what the client commissions. 50% concept. You'll go up to that kind of stage. It's all about kind of the Reba stages. What is it? Concept and then outline yeah this 50 percent concept always really got me at first i mm-hmm. uh, i'd be like i don't fucking need to find what 50 percent concept is. but there are obviously they know what it means it means you've got plans drawn to this scale this level of detail it means you've got you know whether you've not you've got all of your electricity wires included in that design i you know i'm, I'm not actually familiar with what exactly those mean yet but they do know so i'm gradually learning and also what that means for me what do i have to produce when it's 50 percent concept how many pages, how much detail, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Okay, what so- else? Yeah, the things the things we have to do. So re- a report them. I don't know if this is the same for all firms, but they'll be like, yeah, we've got to submit a report. But it's a report, it's a, a pictures, it's a pictures diagram. Again, it's a visual thing. Whereas I think a report, like good solid 40 pages of like text, you know, <laughs> with a load of footnotes. So yeah, a report is visual. And yeah, a board, I was like, a board? What do we a board, I've got to produce a board, which means like this kind of massive two meter tall, like piece of paper, with obviously very high resolution imagery on it, that as well. I mean, now I'm completely obsessed with whatever it is, the PSI. Yeah, anyway, the yeah. kind of uh, image quality is really important, That all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, it's just like the world of designers, you know, that I'm gradually learning a little bit about because it just, you have to know the lingo to work in, in, the, in the environment. But yeah, I'm gradually getting there. Oh, great. I mean, I, I say I mean, it is, I think it's just some one of the things we take for granted, you know, the the way we communicate with our colleagues. Yeah. And I suppose, as I say, you know, the more different professionals you, you have, different professional, um, um, you know, within the company, I suppose it is it's just learning to, uh, you know, communicate effectively with them, really. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. so they understand you, you understand them. Um, and I suppose going back to, um, you know, looking at, when you first started with Foster and Partners and your, I say your time even before that, you know, so, I mean, looking back on this timeline now, I mean, in terms of what has been your steepest learning curve, shall we say, with, with F&P? So, you know, what has you really had to work hard on in order to, um, you know, excel at your job? Yeah, I mean... I think, yeah, kind of cover them off. Producing things in a visual format, being very dynamic and willing to switch, you know, to drop things at last minute and go somewhere else and everything moving at a faster pace and being willing to lean into that rather than being like, oh, no, I actually can't attend because I was going to do this. Um, yeah, the language. And then I think, yeah, the main thing is, oh, one thing is being willing to repeat yourself. So I have a little diagram about the concept of biodiversity in a game with a kind, you know, it's actually really difficult to explain to someone who doesn't know what it is. Because what is a, a biodiversity unit? Like, it's quite a different concept. So I've got this, and obviously you do it, draw it in a graph. You know, you've got your baseline and then a poor quality project and it you know, mitigated and avoided and um, enhanced or whatever. And then you know, what does that mean? It's really difficult to explain. So I repeat myself a lot and because I have to explain. Also, it might be a different team every time, even though I've I've given that presentation four times this week. It's a different audience every time, you know, audience, like, you know, team in a meeting, yeah. whatever. And, you know, I take it for granted that everyone knows that what the mitigation hierarchy is. I'm like, obviously, <laughs> avoid mitigate competence. Uh, but I, you, you have to be willing to, and patient, and willing to explain it again and again with the same energy. And yeah, I guess that relates to my last point, which is 
you have to learn to sell, not sell biodiversity as a positive, beautiful, sexy thing, rather than something that you have to do to get planning permission. Yeah. You know, it has to it has to be more than that. Beyond compliance then, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I suppose um, in terms of, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously you work for an architectural practice, you know, largely an architectural practice. Mm. Are you aware, I mean, are there other ecologists that, that, I don't know, that has been brought to your attention that work for other architectural practices and uh, not saying you, you, you meet up on a regular basis, but are there, is it becoming a little bit more common within to have an in-house ecologist for maybe, you know, I, I know Dyson, for instance, have, you know, have one and, uh, you know, different, you know, different sort of, um, um, you know, sectors, chemical sector and, and nuclear sector will have their in-house ecologists. But what about yeah. architecture? Is, is it becoming a little bit more, um, you know, in-house um, sort of um, uh, led? Well, I've maybe seen a couple of like landscape architect practices that have these kind of openings. Um, but they may be those jobs get taken by landscape architects with an interest in ecology kind of thing. You know, they've done them. Sometimes they've done really amazing work, actually. They're masters in you know, urban migration patterns and how that influences, I don't know, urban design in the east of London or something. But yeah, so there are a few around. And, you know, you can get ecology roles like this if maybe a Dyson or a nuclear firm when they have a big estate. And then you're kind of an estate manager, you know, manager, you know, you're, you're sorting out what goes on on those sites that they own. There will be more ecology ecologists in architecture firms if architecture firms get big. I think you have to meet a critical mass of architects to need someone in-house. So if you wanted to look for a job like this, I'd say look at the bigger firms because for a smaller firm, it's always going to be more cost-effective to to just commission project by project. Mm -hmm. Because you, if you don't need your ecologist for your next five projects, you might not need them for a year kind of thing. Um, and also, obviously, the setup usually is, is the client, the developer, hires the architect and the ecologist and the planning consultant and all these different spe these different specialists. And that's the kind of more common way that it happens, I think. Only the big firms, I expect, will get an in-house ecologist permanent yeah. on a permanent basis. So, cause, yeah, because you mentioned, I mean, how many, so, yeah, I was just thinking about size. So, I mean, how many did you say that um, yeah, Foster and at least At least 1,500. 1,500, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. The, maybe just the London campus. And then there's some that we do have internationally, but smaller ones. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Much smaller. Okay, so um, I mean, we're coming to the end of the podcast, uh, Rosie, and I just thank you for your time. Um, I mean, and we sort of leave the show really with sort of asking, uh, you know, our, our guests really about um, advice that either they've been given, you know, that yeah. really resonates with them, and also maybe advice you would give someone seeking to become an ecologist, particularly for like an in-house ecologist for uh, a major architectural mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I've been listening to some of the other episodes and a couple of your other guests have said it, but it still rings true. Make your choices based on what you enjoy doing. Like if you really love it and it feels right in your gut, you'll probably excel. Like you'll probably do really well because it's not, it's not a chore to go and do it, you know? Um, so that would be, I guess my, definitely my main piece of advice. Like, yeah. You, yeah. And in terms of my specific role. Yeah, you've got you've got to bring the energy every day. You know, <laughs> you get out as much out of it as you put in, and yeah, I guess that'd be my advice. Do what you love and bring the energy. Bring the energy. Bring the energy. <laughs> Believe that. Well, yeah. Well, talking about energy, and I'm going to say I do very much appreciate your time. You know, and uh, 
you know, especially looking after a, a young family. Um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 before we came on um, uh, um, on the podcast, you did mention that's a very little sleep. So I do appreciate your yeah. time here today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to take a break from being a mom <laughs> to come and talk about ecology again. No, another, another very difficult job. I'm, 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 yeah, um, yeah. One well, I'm definitely not qualified for. <laughs> well, Rosie Boat, thank you so much for joining me today on the Ecology Academy podcast. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player, as that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you.